Um, so we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 3. Um, so Ephesians three fourteen to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I love that um, prayer of Paul's. It's something that I pray actually for our church um, pretty much on a weekly basis. Um, but I'm a really impatient kind of guy. I, I don't know if it's because I'm Irish, but, um, but, but I, I'm pretty impatient. And I, find it, I actually find it difficult to, to stay focused for a long time. Everything's connected in my brain like this all the time. Um, so um, I have to work really, really hard to not want to jump to practical application to not want to uh, jump to what does this actually mean um, for me. And uh, so if you're wired a little bit like me, let me just say to you uh, that this next talk, uh, we're going to keep on sitting in the, the thinking and foundational kind of stuff. We are going to leave some of the more practical things to your small groups and then uh, to the end couple of sessions as well. Um, there, there is a really good reason for that, and, and the reason for that, like I, I kind of alluded to a couple of times, is that, that we really need to understand this battle that we're in towards Christ-likeness. If we don't understand it, we're a little bit like the army that just goes and runs into battle without kind of having, you know, in all of the good war movies, you've got like the sergeant stands up the front and they've got the map and they point it out and they, they talk about their opposition and all of that kind of stuff. If, if they weren't to do that, then they would make grave errors when they go into battle. Um, so, so I think it's important for us, um, uh, even for people like me, um, to actually spend a little bit more time thinking and standing and, and kind of looking at the map and looking at what it is that we're actually about to do. So here's what I want you to do after your kind of coffee break and whatever, I want you to switch your brains back on again. I want you to open up your hearts again to the Spirit of God as we look through this. And I'm just going to pray that quickly. And then we're going to look at our progress towards Christ-likeness. Are you with me? Come on. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're in it together. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like I should, I should have put on my Sergeant Major outfit or something like that. Um, but Irishman in... No. <laughs> no, no, I'm just Irish. Um, like I, we always think in categories of war, which is just not a good thing. Um, let me pray. Uh, Father God, I thank you um, so much uh, for the position that you have won for us in and through your son. Um, I thank you so much that your spirit lives and dwells within us. And even in those times where we cannot feel or we, we do not um, really feel like we have been set aside and, and declared holy, that your spirit um, intercedes and speaks on our behalf. 
that your spirit actually impresses your truth in our hearts. So, so we just ask now that as we look at what this means then for us to progress more like your son, um, that by your spirit and through your word, we understand that well um, so that we live a life that is pleasing to you. Amen. Uh, when, when I first became a Christian, I, it was actually just, I, I, it was just before my 18th birthday. I told you about my first experience in church. Um, I knew, even though I couldn't say it like this, I knew that, that I was saved by grace, right? And I knew that it was only Jesus who, who saved me, and it was only Jesus who um, could actually make me holy. I, I knew that, that he was my avant-garde. I knew that it was him that secured my position um, because I sucked so much. There was no way in this world that it could have been me, right? Now, now I, I couldn't say it in that way, um, but I did know it. And, and I, I knew it in such a way that it just took a massive weight off my shoulders um, to know that I was saved in Jesus, that, that my position was one where I was actually declared holy and that I could come before God. Um, I had no idea what any of that meant. I hadn't even word, heard the word sanctification. Um, but, I, but I just knew that. I, I, I knew it because I knew how um, unholy I was and that I needed something drastic um, to actually make me holy and pleasing before the Lord. And that was Jesus. The, the problem was, in, in my Christian life, uh, where, where I knew that Jesus was the one who secured my position, I actually thought that I was the one who would keep my position. Does that make sense? Even, even though I knew that when I was saved that Jesus secured my position, I thought I was the one who would keep my position and it played out in all sorts of different ways in, in my life. Um, it, it kind of meant that I thought that I was the person who would ultimately win the war, even though I could say all of the right things. And, uh, and, and in many ways, when I look at the times when I struggle most of my Christian life, I think I still believe that. I think I still believe that Jesus secured my position and I somehow am the person who, who keeps it all on my own power and my own ability. Um, ultimately, what I believed was that, that my position was God's work and my progress was all my work. Now, I wouldn't have said it. Um, I wouldn't have admitted it to many people. Um, but the more that I just progress along the Christian life, the more, the more that I just went, Lee, this is, this is fully what you believe. And, and that meant that, that my Christian life, particularly as a younger man, um, was very much like a roller coaster. So the weeks and the days that I, that I was kind of like going really, really well at following Jesus and doing all of the rules and stuff, I, I thought, wow, I am awesome. Like, how good am I? God will really accept me. I felt secured. I felt that my position was one that would just be um, unshaken. But then the days that, that, that I kind of wasn't really going all that crash hot, which there were many, or the weeks that rolled past where I didn't really feel like I was following Jesus all that well and I was still kind of struggling with things. Guess what? I kind of went the whole way down on the roller coaster and thought, man, how horrible am I? How sinful am I? How unacceptable am I before God? I can never be certain and that God will actually accept me. And, and my, my life kind of just went up and down and up and down and up and down like that. And, and, and I am more than happy to chat with any of you about my own personal experience in this because it doesn't come out much more 
in the talks, but particularly when we get to the final session, I'm really happy to talk about the highs and the lows um, of my life, if that would be helpful for you. But my suspicion is that you guys all know what this feels like. Yeah? Kind of looking around the room. Yeah, you do, don't you? you? You actually know what this feels like because for many of you, you're wrestling with the tension of the fact that Jesus has secured your position and that somehow we're to take up our part in progressing towards Christ-likeness and we fall into this trap of thinking that it's all about us. And, and the reason that is is because we, we don't understand what God's work is and what our work is when it comes to this thing called sanctification. We, we just don't understand it. And, uh, and that was the, the problem for me. And if we don't understand that, if you actually don't understand what God's work is in this whole thing, and, and then it's really, really difficult for you to work out what your work is and to actually know the battle that you're in and, and to work out whether or not you're winning or losing and all of that kind of stuff. And for me, because I didn't understand this, uh, there were a couple of things that I got wrong and, and still wrestle with in, in many ways. And the first one is that, that I thought that this battle that I was on was a battle towards perfection. I thought that sanctification was all about me being morally good, about me conforming to a set of rules. And, and that was backed up, right? Like after my first experience in church, I became a Christian a number of months later, and then I was literally, I kid you not, I was literally bought a three-piece suit and a Bible. And, and, it, <laughs> and it was kind of like, okay, now you're a Christian, conform and follow all of these rules and look like us and dress like us and sit in the pew um, with your three-piece suit on, right? Now, that's so far removed from the Australian context, um, and they didn't mean this by it, but what I thought was that, that okay, now that I'm a Christian, I, I, you know, I became a Christian and that was about a relationship. Now it's just all about the rules. I, I just need to conform. That meant for me, and this is the way that it played out, that I felt crushed often when I heard a sermon that called me to live a certain way. Um, it, it meant that when, um, when, when I was kind of stuck at something that, that I, I just kept on struggling with, I, I would get angry and, and, and frustrated um, because I thought it was all about following the rules. And, and church often for me felt like a bit of a downer, right? And, and it wasn't because the music was terrible or because of anything like that. It, it was just because I heard this call and this weight in my life that, that, that I'm to keep on progressing to be more like Jesus. And, and I just soon discovered how hard that really was. The other issue was, as I was wrestling with this, right, I, I felt like um, progress in the Christian life actually looked like me not being me. Um, it, it was, I thought it was like this battle against who I was, my, my personality, my, my identity, because much of my identity was bound up in, in what I did and, and who I was. I, I, was, I was known not necessarily for good things at school and, and, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and my identity was all bound up in that. So when Jesus called me to be different, I actually really felt like he was calling me to not be me. And, and I didn't really know um, how to work that out in the way that I spent my time, my money. Um, and this call towards Christ-likeness really felt like it was a call against being me. Have you felt that? Have you wrestled with that? And so I was torn. I was, I was just like constantly 
torn. It felt like a lot of pain. And, and in some ways, it still does, right? Even like 18 or maybe 20 years later, I'm 38 now, I'm getting old. Um, and then the last thing was as well, that, that I, I just thought that, so, so I, I thought that this was a battle that was against me. And, then I, and because of that, I thought that it was just a battle that I needed to do all by my own graft. It, it, was, it was just me, and, and that was it. And the harder that I worked, the more accepted that I would be. Now, have you guys experienced something like that in your own lives? You, you can kind of like nod your head or shake your head or whatever, because I, I want to I make sure that we're really tapping into the stuff that, that you guys are experiencing. Um, but for me, at least, um, I thought the battle was progress towards perfection and away from who I was, and that I had to then fight that in my own strength or in my own grasp. But let me just say to you today, that's wrong. I was completely wrong in thinking that. That's not the Bible's view or the Bible's way of talking about our progress towards Christ-likeness. Because you see, what we see in the Bible is that our progress towards Christ-likeness, it actually flows from our position and, and it is a continuing process towards a person and towards who we are in Christ, which can only actually be accomplished by God's grace. And that's it. So what we're going to look at and for the rest of this session is, and we're going to try to untie a number of these knots of our experience when we think about sanctification. And we're going to see that our progress towards Christ-likeness is progress towards a person, not perfection. It's progress towards actually who we are and who you are rather than away from who you are. And it's, a, and it's a progress that's towards grace, not our graft. And I worked really hard to try and get two Gs in there. It doesn't really work, does it? Um, so first up, and towards a person, not perfection. You see, when you read all of the imperatives in the Bible, right, it's really easy, isn't it, isn't it, for us to fall into the trap of thinking that sanctification has got to do with our moral perfection, about us just being good and ticking off a whole bunch of boxes. But when we look closer, and when you actually look closer in the Bible, what you see is that our progress in sanctification is really progress towards a person, rather than perfection. And that completely changes everything, right? And we already set this idea up in talk one, didn't we? When we saw that our position of being declared holy, let's call it positional sanctification, that's the nerd term for it, the theological term, positional sanctification. What we saw was that the reason that that was there was first and foremost so that we could do what? Draw near to God, wasn't it? So in Exodus 19, God saves and sanctifies people and rescues them out of Egypt so that he could bring them to himself, is the language that's used. The relationship comes first, isn't it? Then we saw Moses consecrating them ritualistically so that they could do what? Actually come into God's presence and continue to meet with him. Why do you reckon that was? It wasn't so they could then go and keep on doing ritual and take off the boxes as if they kind of started off with Jesus and then they continued by their own power. No, it was so that they could kind of continue to draw near to God and dwell with him and know him. 
And it's interesting, isn't it, if you know anything of that story, that the Ten Commandments come after all of that stuff. That's intriguing, isn't it? We often kind of pit it in the other side of the story, but actually it comes after all of that stuff. And even then, when we get stuff like the Ten Commandments, it's not for the sole purpose of our moral perfection. If anything, it's completely different than that. It's to show us that we cannot maintain or attain moral perfection in any way. Part of the role of the Ten Commandments was to show us how sinful we were and how much in need we were of God to secure our position so that we might draw closer to him, so that we might dwell in his love, so that the Israelites might know the Lord their God and worship him with all of their heart, all of their mind, and all of their soul. You see, even in the Old Testament, even for the Israelites, their progress was not towards perfection. It was towards a person. It was towards Yahweh. It was towards their God. And all of that flowed from their position. Do you get that? It's not so much about progress towards perfection, but more about progress towards a person. And in this prayer um, that we read in Ephesians 3, I think it really sums up the idea, right? I'm just going to read it to you again. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that you might grow up to be a super awesome human being. Have a look. You know that that's not what it says, right? With power through his spirit in your inner being so that... And let's maybe just say this next bit together so that you get it into your hearts and into your minds. So that, what does it say? Christ may dwell where? In your hearts, through, through faith. Do you see? The strengthening that we have by the Spirit in our inner being is one of the ways that Paul talks about sanctification, right? And that sanctification is for progressing towards a person towards Jesus who dwells in our hearts through his spirit. Now we need to see this. We really, really need to grab this. But the reality is, and and hopefully you're kind of feeling this, right? You're going, hey, hang on a minute, Lee. Like it still tells us to follow some rules, doesn't it? It doesn't just say have a relationship with Jesus. It also kind of tells us and calls us to follow some rules. And, and when we kind of look at um, what you know, we're called to is that we're to be holy like God is holy. Paul in Philippians 2 actually says that we're to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. So there's all obviously something that we ought to do in this. So how, how are we to understand this tension? How, how do we actually work this out? How are we to see that our sanctification is growing towards a person, yet at the same time, we're still called to live in a certain way? Because you see, the reality is you are called to progress and grow. You don't just become a Christian and that's it. Boom. It's all sorted. We're actually called to keep growing to be more like Christ. I'm going to do something that I normally don't do in, in many of my sermons. I'm going to quote one of my heroes, um, John Calvin. 
Um, he was uh, one of the, the guys during the Reformation um, era, and, and he tried to untie this knot, right, by looking at the idea of adoption. You see, sanctification was a really big deal back then because what was happening was people were seeming to elevate the ritual and the rule over and above the relationship. And John Calvin comes along and he says, uh-uh, like, you got that wrong. You guys are just being jerks. Um, it's, because, it's actually the other way around. And, and what he said was, look, it's because you have been adopted as a son or a daughter into God's family, that that then impacts the way that you live and it flows out. In other words, what he was saying was that the ritual flows from the relationship, not the other way around. The ritual flows from the relationship, not the other way around, which is what my my friend that I told you about earlier was kind of living most of her life believing. It's actually what I believed for much of my Christian life, even though I believed that Jesus saved me, all by grace. And essentially what he said was that the focus of our sanctification is this life with Jesus, that it's all about knowing him, and as we know him, and as we draw closer to him, that that ought to do something in your life, and it's something that ought to be visible. You see, if you were someone who was dead and then now made alive, you should show signs of life, right? If you were someone who was in darkness and and now you're in the light, your life should look like it was a life that was in the light. If you were someone who was not part of a people or part of God's family, and you've been adopted into God's family, then there should be something about your life that reflects those family values. And he he said that all of this was that our life express Christ, the bond of our salvation. And, And as we progress towards a person, this is what he said, sorry it's not on the screen, that it must enter our hearts. When we understand this, that it must enter our hearts and then pass into our daily living and so transform us to itself that it may not be unfruitful. And in other words, there's something about being part of this family that should show fruit that should impact the way that you live. I remember um, a family uh, in the church that I was part of two churches ago, so before established, and uh, they had two young boys that they had fostered. And uh, they, I, I can just remember, they, they had put in for adoption with these two young boys. They were never quite certain as to whether or not they would get to stay with them. The, the boys desperately wanted to be part of this family and uh, the parents desperately wanted the boys to be um, part of their family as well and they just lived with this uncertainty constantly constantly because they didn't have the adoption through Um, and they they were worried whether or not the kids would be taken away and uh, I remember the day right we, we were sitting we were praying for this for must have been around about two years and I remember the day that they received the adoption papers 
Like I remember the day that they received the adoption papers. There were tears of joy. The boys were just completely over the moon because what that meant for them was that they were now legally part of this family and their position within that family was completely secure that no one could come and, and, and take them away and plump them into another foster home. They were part of the Smith family. It was massive. And, and something happened from that moment on. It was starting to happen before that, but something happened from that moment on, and it was that the more that they were part of the Smith family, the more that they started looking like the Smith family. It, even though biologically they were from a very, very different family, they started to emulate their father, the way that he spoke the football team that he followed, the way that he dressed, the way that he walked, they, they somehow kind of started emulating that and reflecting that. And the more that they lived in their family, the more and more that you saw those values of that family lived out in their life. You, you see, the adoption that they had received went from this kind of like certificate into their head and they knew that they were adopted legally but it also passed into their hearts, right? And then it flowed out into their everyday life. Nor we, if you are in Christ, you have been adopted into God's family. Your adoption papers have been signed by the blood of Jesus on the cross and you are now part of the most perfect, loving family in all of the world where God is your father. And that is your position. And you weren't adopted into that family for ritual. I hope you realize that. You were adopted into that family for relationship. Therefore, your progress in the Christian life is not progress towards perfection. It's progress towards a person. That's revolutionary, isn't it? It's one where you grow in love, not in lists. But as you do that, it should show there should be evidences of that in your life. You should model Jesus. You should start to take on the attributes of your new family because you see love and relationship is expressed in action, isn't it? That's true of all of our relationships. Here's how John Hindley puts it in a book called You Can Really Grow. If you want to read a good entry level but really, really deep book on sanctification, it's this book, You Can Really Grow. And here's what he says, right? Christian growth is growing up in the family of God. It's growing closer to Jesus. And the way this works is that as we, we grow up, we grow up into the likeness of Christ. And it's because of this then, right? Because of this adoption picture that our progress towards Christ-likeness is not against who we are. I hope you see this because you're now part of a new family. It's actually towards who you are. Now, one of the things that I hear just in the subtext of what Christians say, particularly, and, and I don't want to be generationalist or whatever, but particularly amongst your generation um, and mine, mine kind of still creeps in a little bit maybe, um, is that we often look at this stuff and we just go, look, that's not me. I am 
this kind of person, so I'm never going to look like that kind of person. This is who I am, so I'm never going to really be be Christ-like. That's just for the super holy people. That's just for the people who grown up in Christian home and went to Christian school or Misho kids or pastor's kids or people who are already wired like that. But that's not me. And, and, and I hear people saying, not just in these words, but, but in the way that they respond and, and live, you know, Lee, I'm called to forgive, but, but I'm actually really the kind of person who holds a grudge. And you can nearly picture a meme that they would put up on their Facebook page, right? Or Instagram. I know that I'm the give of my time, but I'm actually really a selfish person. I've always been a selfish person. I, I, I don't, I don't kind of want to give my time. I want to do things the way that I want to do them because I don't really have all that much time anyway. Because that's the way I've always been. Now, I wonder if you can just pause for about 10 seconds and think about your own caption, your own little meme in your head that you might wrestle with. I reckon if you've got something there, it's probably because you think that when you're called to be something, you're called to be something that you're not, but what you need to realize is that now that you are part of a new family, all of the things that God calls you to is actually calling you to who you really are. Because you see, you have a new identity. You are a new person and you're called to progress towards that identity and that person. It's progress towards your new self and and dare I even say towards your true self. I don't mean that in a like psychology kind of you are your own self kind of person but actually the self that you were made to be which is someone to be part of God's family. That's your true self. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. If you are in Christ Jesus, your progress towards Christ-likeness is actually to live out who you really are. This is why in the New Testament, right, always, that there might be some exceptions to this rule. I, I can't quite remember. Um, but, the, but, but always, or mostly at least, the imperatives flow from indicatives. The imperatives of do something always flows from the indicatives of who we are. Now, now let me kind of give you an idea of what I mean here. So in Ephesians that we just read out before, Paul basically spends the first three chapters pointing out to them who they are in Christ. He kind of basically says to them that there are people who have been predestined, people who have been adopted, people who are holy and blameless, people who were dead and now alive. And then in chapter four, he really starts kind of kicking into calling them how to live. So if you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four, I want to highlight this for you in verse one. So as a prisoner for the Lord, this is another way of talking about their identity. It's not as quite as glamorous as being adopted, um, but, but it is another picture of what that is. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why? Why are they to be humble and gentle and patient? Well, it's because they're to live a life where they are their calling. What's their calling? Well, it's that they are to be holy and blameless. Why are they to be holy and blameless? Well, it's because they've been adopted into a family and they have a father who is holy and blameless. And they're to reflect that because that is who they truly are. Your progress towards Christ-likeness is not against who you are, but it's towards who you really are. And over and over again in the New Testament, that's what we see. Because of who you are, the indicative, then do this, the imperative. Because you are holy, because you are sanctified, because your position is one where you are declared holy and right before God, then live as someone who is holy. Do you get it? Because this changes everything. You're called to live to who you are. Now there is a battle. And and there is a reason why it kind of feels like we fight. And it feels like the fight is against ourselves, right? And that's because the flesh or the old self still kind of somehow, although defeated, still lives on. But the battle is not against who we are. It's against who you were. Even though you fight this battle against the flesh and against the old self, that is not who you are. It is who you were. Paul, in Romans 6, um, spends the first 11 verses right describing Um, Christians and then basically saying, look, we are no longer in sin because we have died to Christ. But then in verse 12, this is what he says, right? So I want you to get this. He's basically saying, look, your identity is one where you're no longer, um, you're no longer in sin. And then he says this, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. What the heck are you talking about, Paul? We are no longer in sin. Therefore do not let sin reign in our mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument for wickedness. Why did he say that? Well, he said that because the battle is real. And it's a battle that even Paul experiences in Romans 7. Now, I want to read to you another kind of, kind of hero of mine um, called Augustine, right? And, and he's a hero because he wrote this book called Confessions. And I, and I love being transparent and I, I, I don't like pretending how I go with things. And, and he's the kind of bloke that just lays it all out, right, in this book called Confessions. And, and this is what Augustine said as he's wrestling with this. And, and I wonder if you can feel probably what's going on for him. I flung myself down beneath a fig tree and gave way to my tears which now streamed from my eyes. In misery, I kept on crying, how long, how long shall I go on saying tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow? He's talking here about defeating his sin and not having that battle any longer. He's like, why not now? Why not make an end of all my ugly sins at this moment? That's what you feel, isn't it? when that thing creeps up again. 
when you feel like you're going so well and you're just reminded of something that you never even thought was an issue and suddenly the Holy Spirit is kind of showing it to you. You go, oh man, I thought I was going so well. But yet the more that we progress more towards Christ, the more that he shows us how much we've got or how far we've got to go. You see, guys, the battle is real. There is a real battle. You need to show up at the battle. You can't just kind of sit back and let go and let God. But there is something here and that I want you to get. It doesn't pluck you out of this battle, but I think it enables you to fight it. And it's this. Because you have been declared holy in Christ Jesus and because you have been adopted into his family, you have been made new. And even though you might not feel like it, right, the fight that you are on is one that you are fighting towards who you really are. It's one that you're fighting towards your new identity in Christ. And it's a fight that will be won because it has been won in Christ. So keep fighting. Keep going. Not in your own strength, but in the strength of Jesus. Now the question is, how the heck do we do that? Well, we're going to look at it more in the next session. But I want to give you another big idea. So just switch your brains back on again, right? Um, Because I want to give you another little bit of a nugget that will help you have a launching pad to work out the Christian life. John Calvin, again, um, he reckoned that this, that one of the ways that we did this was through repentance and faith, right? Not repentance that just kind of says sorry, um, but repentance that's much fuller, a repentance that, that basically produces two key things in us. Now, the two words are not that important, but the idea really is. And, and the words are mortification and vivification, if you can say that. Mortification and vivification. Mortification is just really simply putting to death the old self and all of the patterns and the behaviors that belong to our old self. And vivification entails putting on the new self and actually drawing near to Christ, putting on the patterns of behaviors that are fitting of being part of his family. Now, if you want to look at it, you can go and look at Romans 6, 11 later on, maybe even open it up in your small group time. But ultimately, it involves us counting ourselves dead to sin. In other words, actually realizing our position, remembering our real identity, because that's who we are. We are people who have died to sin because of Jesus. Often when it comes to sanctification, we're looking for the quick fix, am I right? Like you kind of, you know, you went along to youth group and you're like, just give me the six things that I need to do. Or you hear the sermon and you go, man, there was nothing practical in that. I want to know what I need to do and when I need to do it and so I can tick off all of the boxes because that will be what will help. Can I just say to you that it is not just about what you do. You really, really need to grab who you are. You really need to grab who you are. You see, it's not just about doing this sanctification thing. It's about thinking. It's about remembering. It's about reminding. Because if all you do is think that it is about your doing, then you're only going to end up being this moralistic 
upright person who progresses towards perfection and you're not going to progress towards Jesus, which is the very thing that you're made for and saved for. But if we daily count ourselves dead to sin, right, and remember who we are, that we are people who are made alive in God through Christ, then that will work from our heads and that will raise our affections in our hearts. And by virtue of that, that should flow into our hands and there are plenty of kind of descriptions of what that looks like in the Bible. And and the second thing in this is that we're not to let sin reign. And it actually requires us to mortify the old self. So as you remind yourself of who you are in Jesus, you will want to offer up your life to him, right? You will, how could you not? as you remind yourself of even the basics of the gospel, which when you hear it on a Sunday or on a Friday or whenever you hear it, you go, I've heard that over and over and over and over and over again. Won't you give me something else to help me with this? No. You actually need to grab who you are. And as you grab who you are and what it is that Jesus has done for you, that will stir your affections to want to draw closer to him. That's our progress towards Christ-likeness. It's a life of repentance of faith. It's a life where we put off the old self and put on the new. And we don't do that by sheer graft. We actually do that by grace. We actually do that by grace. Now, now how does this work? Well, the question again, how how does it work, right? That on one hand, um, we're told that our, our sanctification, our position is secure. It's something that's been done by God. But then on the other hand, we're kind of called to still do stuff. Here's how John Hindley puts it. And I want to finish on this, right? Um, John Hindley, the guy who wrote the book, We Can Grow or You Can Really Grow. Here's what he says. Sometimes Daisy, my daughter, asked me to get her a toy from the top of a cupboard. So imagine it's her birthday. And, and for her birthday, right, I gave her a jigsaw puzzle and... And and now I ask her if she wants to do jigsaw puzzling with me. And and she says, yes, please, in reply. So I pick Daisy up. And and as I do, and as I pick her up, she strains toward the top of the cupboard, which is where I put the jigsaw. She puts every effort into her little body so that she can grab a hold of the jigsaw because that's what she really wants. And she reaches the jigsaw. Now, how does she reach the jigsaw? Well, she reach it because I lift her. I could have just got the puzzle down for her. I could have lifted her high enough so that she didn't need to lift her arms at all. I could have done all of the work for her. But instead, I involved her and this increased her enjoyment. Did Daisy reach for the puzzle? Yes. Did he reach for the puzzle? Yes. I lifted, he says. She reached. She needed me to lift her. I didn't need her to reach, but we did it together. What a beautiful picture. Our progress towards Christ-likeness is, is one that is actually towards grace because without our graph, we will never reach it. Without the grace, we will never reach it. The only way that you can actually live out this life is through repentance and faith by God's 
grace. But you still reach. You still obey. You still reflect your family values. Our progress is not towards a person, or it is not, sorry, not towards perfection, but towards a person. Our progress is towards who we are, not against who we are, and our progress is something that is all of God's grace. Now, a couple of thoughts just to finish off on this. Because it's a progress towards a person, right, that means it's hard to measure. So for all of you kind of like A-type personalities who like to set goals and, and like to measure things, and the reality is because this is a relationship that you are in, it will be a lot more organic and it will have ups and downs. There'll be times where you feel like your relationship's going really well and there'll be other times where you feel like it's not going well and you're not really sure why. And, and that's pretty frustrating, right? It's actually really quite hard. Because it's a relationship, it actually takes time and work. And let me just say to you that it doesn't just take time and work in your 20s. You know, like when you set up the relationship, that's all you do. You, you kind of put the time and work in now, and then you can coast for the rest of your life. No, imagine if I did that with my wife. I wouldn't have a relationship anymore, would I? And it's something that takes constant time. It takes work. It takes effort. Like a relationship, it's also something in terms of your relationship with Jesus that, that sometimes you will feel like you are super on fire and that you're madly, deeply in love with Jesus. You're learning new things. You're discovering new things about him. But then they can get familiar. The foundational things don't seem new anymore. You don't maybe feel the pizzazz that you once did. But we have to wrestle with that. Because progress is something that, that we do as we live out a life of repentance and faith, yet it's something that is only by God's grace, that means that you need to avoid activism. And that's what I alluded to a little bit before, that the Christian life is just all about doing. That you're so zealous for progress that you just think another list will do. And then you end up gently creeping into being self-reliant on your own graft and ability rather than on God's grace. But then on the other hand, we need to avoid apathy, right? That we just let go and let God. God will do it anyway. Oh yeah, my, my friends around me, they'll just keep me right with that. No need to fight. And then we fail to see that, that even though God lifts us by his grace, we fail to see that actually we still reach and that in reaching, that is something that is for our pleasure and for our good. And, and I want to say that in Australian culture, apathy is probably more our problem, right? Rather than activism. And we're going to look at that more tomorrow. We're going to dig into what this looks like as we look at God's plan. And then hopefully you guys building your own plan as well. So I'm just going to pray. As, are we singing more songs? I'm going to pray as the band gets up then. Father God, just... Um, I thank you so much that you've adopted us into your family and help us to reflect what that looks like more and more in our lives. Help us to see that because this is a relationship that it's not just something that we set up at one time in our lives and then just coast along, but it's something that we keep on working at by your grace. Um, Holy Spirit, would you fill us with a real deep sense of who we are and what it is that you call us to, all for your glory. Amen.